You need it. You got it. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with your boy Brian Campbell. And come on, folks. It's back with a bang. This is how we do it. Like Montel in 94, the Brian Campbell, without question, the voice that you hear. Hey, guys, back with the needle. No, this is not USADA or, or VADA driven. Back with the needle, though, and ready to insert with another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. Fired up to talk some mixed martial arts this week, as we're kind of in a weird week in between the weeds here, in between UFC Fight Night cards on ESPN, but you know that news cycle is always friggin' churning. Lot to talk about, lots of fantasy book about. Brandon Wise, we'll get to that in a second, as it seemingly everybody wants to bang Connor these days. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. Everybody wants to get rich. We are going to get into that so more, so much more. Anthony Pettis' comeback knockout of UFC Nashville. A look ahead to this Saturday's UFC Philadelphia card. Brotherly love. We'll get to all of that and more. But before we do, folks, a reminder. Hey, you like this show, you're entertained by it, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you spread the love forward by heading on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume fine audio? Hey, we're on Spotify right now. I don't know if that surprises you. I'm not surprised, mother. But we are on Spotify. Head on over. Five stars. Maybe drop a little line in there about what you like about the show. Whatever you got to do, folks. All right? Let's do it. Let's get fired up. Let's get into the show this week. Rev your engines. Face the damn pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me bring in my co-host. He's number 65 in your playbook at North Boca High, but number one in your hearts. CBS Sports editor and writer Brandon Wise. He's back for more pain. BW, how is it? I'm doing great. I'm not facing the pain like Steven Thompson is right now, so oh, that's also boy. great. I can't get into I'm, that yet. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm having a great weekend, BC. It was, you know, we thought it would be a more eventful weekend on the uh, college basketball side. We got a good game last night out of Duke and Zion Williamson, but, you know, the How fights about this were uh, also guy, Taco Bell, this this uh, this freak of nature throwing down. It ain't too hard for him to jam. I don't even think his feet got off the floor. I love freaks of nature like that. He was great. He also... Did not block Zion cleanly once, but yeah, that's yeah. neither here nor there. You need to, you need to, we must protect this house. Uh, I'm the ones and twos producing this week. You know him, you love him. Mikey, Mo Mile, my man. What's going on, bro? Him? Nothing. I'm, I'm just seeing some rumors here that Taco Fall versus, uh, recently retired Stefan Struve fight possibly happening, maybe? Oh, Give wow. it a couple years, oh, something wow. like that. So here for that. <laughs> I think he could send, uh, Struve to hell. I think he could. <laughs> I mean, He's got to get a little more agile before he gets into that kind of fight. Did you guys did you guys catch the video of uh, Tim Duncan training a little MMA over the weekend? Yeah, those no. those wheel kicks were were uh, looping. Yeah, those those would not feel good again hit by one of those. Interesting he, character turn for him, Brandon, because he was not a physical dude in the NBA. He, you know, there's no there's no skirmishes. There's no Bill Lane Bear highlights to run back. He's such a weird dude in general. He just doesn't want to talk to anybody in the media. He just wants to keep to himself. And now that he's retired, he's just become like, I'm going to go do whatever the hell I want guy. And now he's training MMA with the full gear on. I I, I would love to see him give it a run, you know, like Royce White from uh, the NBA is going to try and give this a run after he couldn't make it through the NBA circuit. I, sh- give me Tim Duncan. Come on. 
I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Uh, look, celebrity MMA. We haven't dug that deep into that yet. I mean, we did with, uh, Kimbo versus Dada 3800 that time uh, in the, uh, in the heart attack match. But, uh, I, I think there's a mar- market here. We had, a, we had a good run with celebrity boxing about 15 years ago. Remember that? Remember those train wrecks we got to see on Big Fox? Why don't we roll out some celebrity MMA? Remember Wesley Snipes almost fought, uh, Joe Rogan that time to try to pay off his, uh, tax, uh, evasion charges? That's one I would have liked to see. That's one I would have liked or, to see. Or, uh, Jose Canseco's brother who stepped in and said that he was Jose Canseco. Ozzy, oh yeah. They, see, Jose had been trying to get Ozzy a job since back when they were both in spring training with the A's and Ozzy got cut because he sucks and Jose said, I won't play unless you sign my brother and then cooler heads prevailed at that point. Wow. Anyone see Jose Canseco's Twitter account lately, by the way? What a friggin' train wreck. Didn't he accuse, uh, A-Rod of, uh, a lot of gross things. A lot of some, uh, some cheating. He's also, he's also going on hunts. So, Brian, if you want, I think he's looking for Bigfoot. I think he just, he left a phone number. So you just give him a call, schedule yourself a trip. You can go hunt for See, Bigfoot that's with a, him. That's a joke in your world. But to me, I actually was considering it first. I was thinking like, wow, well, is there a website? Yeah, can, <laughs> where, where do I sign up for this? I mean, I'll expose the world with Jose Canseco. Look, he wasn't wrong about steroids, was he? It's true. Right? Right? Can we get him to figure out what TJ Dillashaw took, please? Please, can we get on this? Did you know that he alleges his finger fell off during a poker game? <sighs> That's the end of this conversation. <laughs> hey guys, let's start right there though. I don't even know if last, that last episode, if we got into this, I think the news flashed afterwards, but this whole TJ Dillashaw fallout of giving up his Bantamweight title and us not knowing why, isn't this weird? Because USADA now with the rule change is not supposed to announce anything ahead of time till the investigation's done. But TJ jumped the gun and announced it, so it allowed USADA to put out a statement. New York suspended him for a year, which supposedly in the rule set triggers him having to give the title, yet nobody's coming public with what he's done. And in his statement, it made it sound like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, I didn't really do anything wrong, I'll get back to you. But at the same time, here's my championship belt. What the hell's going on here? So... I think there has to be something more to the story. I think if you're a fighter, you don't give up that belt without knowing that you did something wrong. Otherwise, why would you not just say, nope, let's wait, let's wait the two months until we figure it out until USADA has the facts and they bring them to you. So the fact that he just willingly vacated the title when he was pushing so hard for that Cejudo rematch. Dead giveaway. I, it tells me something that maybe he knew he was doing something wrong and this isn't a tainted substance. Well, as Brandon I mean, will tell you, if you listen to Cody Garbrandt long enough, we, we should have already known this, correct? <laughs> that was like my favorite thing that happened with this on Friday was everybody bringing back the Cody uh, clip from, I think it was the first fight, not the second one, where he's saying, yeah, he taught everybody at Alpha Male how to do it. And it's like, did you just tell everybody that you're also on steroids, Cody? <laughs> like... <laughs> Do you think the ink in his neck tat is performance enhancing? Oh, God. God. Uh, well, here's the, it's just weird because that USADA rule seemed to change everything in terms of we're not going to shame a guy early and then find out later it was a tainted supplement. But then certainly the John Jones situation, I feel, completely changed USADA's current reputation in the MMA space because I feel like they went to leaps and bounds to cut his suspension short and to give him every possible benefit of the doubt. It's a rare case where he's not a company guy. No, no, no. John Jones, not a company guy, but makes so much money is so valuable to the UFC that they're just full on in the, Hey, if you can't prove it, it didn't happen business. But TJ, we know guys, we know not a company man, pro union, 
Took him two years to get another title shot after he kind of controversially lost that decision to Cruz, had to come up the back way. There was going to be no, hey, let's hold the belt on TJ until the news clears, and then in the meantime, we'll float our 17th uh, interim title out there. This seemed to be cut and dry. I feel UFC telling TJ, get rid of the belt and put a statement out, or we're going to out you. Any, any, you guys, can you back me up on that? Can we get Jose Canseco to back up that conspiracy? Well, that's the thing is like, it, it honestly kind of felt like you can't fire me. I quit. You know, like I just don't understand how this all goes about when there's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes that we're not hearing or seeing. But at the same time, it's like, TJ, you've always like claimed this clear error of like, I don't do anything. I'm didn't, I think he was part of that USADA like 25 test t-shirt thing that they did remember <laughs> when they were given out to, to anybody who didn't fail a test in the last 25 they were giving which, them a free shirt which by the way reminds me of that sign and the simpsons inside the nuclear reactor uh where, where uh homer simpson where you know works it's like three days since the last nuclear explosion yeah like come on come on so yeah it's just like i don't know it's just weird you know like i i mean we talked about it at the time it was kind of weird to see TJ decide, hey, I'm going to cut to 125. Very weird. And then and then he's like, I've got all of this science. I've got all of this medicine. And I showed you that picture from that week for him on on Twitter that one of his guys in his camp took while he was trying to cut to 125, like that day before or two days before. There's probably 30 pill bottles in front of him with different supplements that do different things to help him get down in weight. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say USADA does not approve of all of those supplements that are helping <laughs> well, him get to 125. USADA is like, you could take five of those ahead of a fight, but all 50, no, no, sorry, can't do it. Like, come on. Like, it's okay. In one sense, for TJ Dillashaw, the man and the champion, this is a rough road he's been on the last six months to a year. No question about that. But it also kind of supports my original conspiracy theory of UFC tried to set him up to fail by sort of forcing him down to 125 to take face who don't know we don't know if he forced him or if it was just dangling that second championship belt saying here tj you can go from current champion and pound for pound rated guy to an all-time great by becoming just the i don't know the fifth or sixth at that time it seems like now it's happening every other week just the fifth or sixth champ champ in ufc history i felt i still feel this day tell me it's a stupid conspiracy theory that because tj is not a company man they realized Sahudo was the star to build on for the future so they wanted to compromise tj and rather than just have Sahudo move up to bantamweight they wanted to send tj down how whether you believe i'm spewing crap or not it's a bad stretch for tj dillashaw Wow, we actually have sound of Dana on the phone call when he called TJ to make him give up the title. You guys want to go back and be a f***ing bartender, a uh, short order cook, a f***ing scientist? If that's what you really want to be, then go for it. Yeah, I mean, that's where TJ, I mean, maybe Patrick Cummins can get him a job at Starbucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just, it's, like you said, it's a really bad stretch for him. It's a horrible look for UFC at this point. When you're trying, I mean, I know you've been on this kick before about Tyron Woodley not being a company man. Neither is TJ. For all of that talk, he's not a company man either. He was part of that original GSP group to try and form a union. So maybe they just, this was their, this was probably like a, a heaven sent for UFC. They're like, oh, we can get rid of him as champion now too. That's why, so that's my, so that's ultimately my point. That's why I think it happened so quick without waiting to see, right? If this was John Jones, I think we would wait and see. 
right? I think oh, we'd go through – I think we'd exhaust all options. With TJ, it seemed like, oh, sorry, dude, you're going to have to give up that title. It's the same – it's the same thing with Colby Covington when he had – when he got stripped of his. Like, not – you're not what the UFC wants at this moment, so they're just going to take it away from you and make it as hard for you to get that back as possible. It's just so weird – I, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. With the UFC, they're gonna make a lot of decisions that were like, well, that's outright morally corrupt. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Oh, that's contradictive. I'll say this. You're a promoter with full power in a sport that's already dirty, combat sports in general, promoting combat sports is dirty. You're gonna lie a lot and do bad things. Just be consistent with it. I don't like right now how many things are just up in the air. We'll wait and see. Is Max Holloway going to be at featherweight moving forward? I don't know. Let's see if he loses that lightweight title fight. You know what I mean? Are we going to get rid of the flyweight division? I don't know. But here we're going to have Cejudo move up first, though, possibly, and try to now fight for TJ's vacant title. But if he loses, we'll still let him go back down. It's just a lot of this crap is all up in the air. That's what really pisses me off. It wouldn't piss me off if Dana was a little bit more old school Dana and just made a decision and was on wielding about it and then you're just like okay they don't get it but this is the way they're going i feel like now there's a little bit too much manipulation in terms of what they want to do there's of course way too many titles and all that bs that's devaluing things and that takes me to that sit down did you brohams happen to see dana white with yahoo's kevin ioli sitting inside of what i thought was dana's office at the ufc pi sitting in these weird rounded chairs maybe ioli could have worn a jacket i'm not that's for another topic for another time but uh (laughs) So I only thought that he challenged Dana about interim titles, about how they devalue the full title, about basically with the same opinion that all of us in the media have because we're using common sense. We're like, why are you throwing two titles on the big fights at UFC 236 for really no reason? Although Kevin put up a fight a little bit in the beginning, I thought he backed off too soon. And holy crap, did Dana White just walk himself into a corner and just make – they just turn this into a double-down clown show. Is there any defense, Brandon, you can give to Dana White's defense about why, about why we should have more interim titles and that there's only six guys in the world on the internet, including Ioli, who disagree? How about six million, bro? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't go down that road with Dana. It's just like, we obviously know that interim titles don't mean anything anymore. Like we, like Mikey just said, we just proved this with Colby Covington that it holds zero value. All you're doing is making it seem like fighters want a title fight to make sure that they get more pay-per-view points. I think that's what he was trying to say. And it's like, no, the fighters just want as much money as they can get. And you're doing, you're doing them a disservice by just saying an interim title fight will give you as many pay-per-view points when in reality, if you're just the main event, you're going to get, I mean, you should get the same amount of points. So I don't understand Dana's theory there. It's also funny to me that the same guy who's saying that more interim title fights is okay is also that opposed to adding more weight classes and adding more exactly. actual titles. That's my point, though. The, the contradiction is just stupid overall. And the one thing I'll give Ali credit for is what you mentioned. He sort of was like, Dana, that's fine, but you're the boss. You can give, you can pay anybody, anybody, anything you want to pay them. You can give anybody pay-per-view points. So why would you float a title just to justify that? I would have loved to have been there. Maybe it would have ended my life as a credentialed MMA journalist, but uh I would have loved to have been there and just be like, Dana, listen to yourself. Look, this is the kind of stuff that makes me mad. And I think this Dillashaw conversation naturally flows into what do we do now with the Bantamweight division? And we got a little bit of a clear answer to that this past weekend 
at UFC Nashville when Dana was interviewed with Megan O'Leary of the UFC. By the way, Megan O'Leary, fantastic on camera, really nice person of met her. I do have a pet peeve. When she says we when talking about the UFC, I, I hate that. Remember, did you see the sit down she had on UFC.com I mean, when Dana signed She's a his, paid employee though. I know, but she's got an ESPN mic flag and shouldn't you try to act as a journalist, even if you're a UFC journalist on air a little bit in the middle and just not say we when you're talking about the UFC, because then it throws all sort of idea that you could possibly be hitting Dana with curveball hard questions out the window when it's just we, we. But it's, I mean, I'm not taking that as far as you I'm are. I'm not going to die on like, that hill. I just mentioned it because that's what we do in this show, right? We're critics. No, I understand, but it's like she's married to a UFC fighter and she works with the company as a quote unquote reporter backstage. Like I I'm going to be okay with that. Her saying we, I have more problems with fight fans saying we than that because yeah. or at least any, it makes any sense fans for of her. Teams saying we. If you, if you, if you talk about your favorite baseball team and you're saying we get over it, you're, are you on the payroll? You get nothing. Right. Okay. So stop it. Anyway, moving on. The point yeah. of what I'm trying to say here is he's asked by Megan. He says, Oh, back then we didn't have a plan for flyweight and bantamweight, but we have a plan now. So tell me if I'm missing up the details, guys. Dana releases that his plan is that current flyweight champion, Henry Cejudo, is going to move up in weight and challenge number one bantamweight contender, Marlon Marias, for that vacant bantamweight title, and that on the same card, he's going to have Mr. Olivi, Joseph uh, Joseph Benavidez, against who? <laughs> against uh, um, Pedro Munoz. Uh, who's think, also right? a bantamweight? No. I might have that wrong. So Hold on. Benavides is a fly, is a flyweight who probably should be getting a flyweight title shot, by the way, against Cejudo right now, since he beat Cejudo two years ago in their epic brawl. Three years ago, excuse me. So he's saying that fight is also going to be on the card. Bermudez ver, or Benavides versus wow, I Formiga. 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 I'm sorry. Juicy Formiga, who just had a win over the weekend, uh, with the idea that if somebody falls out of that bantamweight mega main event, they can plug them in. This doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because I don't think this answered what the hell are we doing with flyweight? Did it? Did I miss it? No, it doesn't. I mean, it clearly it doesn't. The favorite part to me is that Dana says, I didn't have a plan before. Well, then what the hell are we going to do? Just sit here and just talk about it for another three months without anything actually happening? Like, what? I I love the fight, by the way. I do love Cejudo against Marais. I think that's going to be some hot fire in your face. but. Yeah, flyweight, it's just going to still dangle out there on the end. Like, nobody knows what they want to do with it. They can't decide if it's actually a draw or not. And, yeah. Yeah, they have to make a decision. This is so stupid that they're leaving it open. Or I think it's stupid that you'd give Cejudo a chance to become a two-division champion, but then have the safety valve that if should he lose, oh, he's still the champion down at flyweight. It doesn't make sense right now. It makes sense. Again, super fights make sense. When you have two champions who have more or less cleaned out their entire division, aka Amanda Nunez and Chris Cyborg recently, where the be- the only fight that really makes sense big time for them is to fight each other. This is only making sense if you are also announcing we are ending the flyweight division. Then yes, of course, Cejudo, who just knocked out the bantamweight champion at flyweight, of course, should get that opportunity. Hedging like this is wrong, especially... Tell me if I'm wrong, especially with Benavidez there, who beats Cejudo. It's natural that you would do that rematch now at Flyweight. Benavidez coming off a win. He has what? One loss in the past between now and the last time he lost to Demetrius Johnson, basically. The guy's been on fire. Let's run this back. I used to f*** like you in high school. (laughs) Remember when Benavidez said that to him? Did you hear that sound, Mikey? Do you remember when Benavidez said that? I used to f*** 
It's not cool. like you in high school. <laughs> he said that. I don't know what that means. I don't want to know what that means. It was gross. <laughs> they had a little bit of a beef there. Run that back. And if Bantamweight wasn't so sneaky loaded, I wouldn't care about this. But Brandon, we did a story this past week. You know, what do we do with the Bantamweight division? And as you're looking at it, whether you want to do a four-man unofficial tournament or go as high as a 16-man official Grand Prix, Bantamweight's got a really good mix of guys who could be next, former names, fun-ass guys. I didn't realize how sleeper and sneaky good this division is. Ooh, if you want to go 16 deep? I think you actually could right now. Look really? at the rankings. You've got two guys in there who are – I mean, Cody Garbrandt's 0-3 with three straight knockout losses. Right. You want to put him in this? I- I'm saying if you did. I'm saying if you put Dominic Cruz in there. I'm saying if you put in Tom's out for a year. Okay, I'm just saying. If you, wanted <laughs> you, did, to if some... you did a 16-man tournament and you threw Cody Garbrandt in there, that would be a very fun to one, one, very fun one to watch. I mean – I mean, you've got a Peter Jan in there. You've got some guys who could be next. You've got some in-between guys. Look, even if you just did top four – with Pedro Munoz rising, with where we are with uh, Asuncao being the veteran of this division going back a long way, with Marias ready to take over, I just don't think you need right now Cejudo. He's already a star. Yeah, he took that L trying to trying to pull in Nikki Bella. Outside of that, he's already a star. He has everything you want. Are we going to give him two titles? My idea originally when this first came out on Friday was you do four-man tournament, but with these names, you go. Cejudo against Aljamain Sterling, who also is deserving of his chance. And then you go Marais against uh, Munoz. And then the winners fight each other for the title. I think that's the easiest way to handle this at this point because it's like everybody else has a loss in their last two fights that you're talking about there, except for Peter Jan. But Jan still needs to prove himself against higher competition. Benavidez, I mean, if we end up doing that kind of style, then you just name Benavidez the champion. Honestly, like he is the champion of 125 if Cejudo decides to move up. Maybe he'll Pretty get simple. an interim title shot on that same card. This is just such a – it's – I mean, come on, dude. Like, again. This is number one bullshit. Like, identi- like right, it's the same thing about the conversation we're going to have with Conor McGregor. If you look back at this podcast going back two months, Conor McGregor's name is probably in the headline of every single show because it becomes fun to go, well, we don't know where he's going, but who would you want? Now that every single fighter's calling is it, can you just announce who he's going to fight? He's probably going to be back in July or August, right? Just announce it. Get us pumped up. Start the – let us bang that drum now. Same thing with Flyweight. Same thing with all of this. Brandon, the way they run business. I know they don't care. I know Dana just signed up for another seven years on top. I know Ari just signed up for another seven years. I know UFC on ESPN ripped up their deal and signed it for another seven years. And now, sorry, uh, pay-per-view providers. All pay-per-views are going through ESPN Plus moving forward. No longer are you getting that 50-50 cut. I get that they have the financial backing to do whatever the hell they want. They ain't scared about PFL. They ain't scared about... Bellator, they ain't scared about one Gary Shaw in a tracksuit with Elite XE. They ain't scared, Brandon. They don't need my criticism. But why run business like this? Because they think that if, as long as you're talking about us, that's great for business. And that's that's not wrong. I mean, as long as we keep talking about Conor McGregor, they keep getting more interest built. They keep having more people come to their site. They have people searching for them on Google. It keeps their name in people's mind at all times. So 
they're not going to stop doing business like this, quite frankly. <laughs> like he even said on on Saturday that the, those four those two fights that he mentioned, he just named them. He didn't say where they were going to happen or when. He just said, yeah, that's probably what we're going to do. The ironic so, part is him saying, I didn't have a plan then, I have it now. He said it in such a voice that made you sound like he has no plan. Like he's just, the first name's coming to his head. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll probably do this and that, probably. I don't know. Well, yeah, whatever. We'll see. We'll see. Probably, maybe. No, you, this is live, we're on live television, Dana. Like seriously, like what are we doing here, Brandon? Campbell, I have a question for you. So, do you think that since W, WME, IMG. Yeah, man. Do you think since they have taken over, do you think that there's a notable difference in how the US UFC has been run? That's a very interesting you, question. Um, do you think there's a notable, like, do you think there's way more? I know we've had a recent surge of a lot of interim titles, but do you think that could be a product of the new ownership? Yes. yes. I got problems with this at all. I think there's a lot more, uh, Cut off our nose to spite our face decisions. Short-term decisions with long-term uh, results that they don't care about that they're making. But I think originally that was because, let's be honest here, 2016, their biggest year financially by friggin' far, right? Right in the middle of Conor McGregor fighting three times in a calendar year. And Rousey's still a thing. They sell for $4 billion. So 2017's hangover was going to be inevitable under any circumstance. It just so happened that Rousey, McGregor... And for the most part, Jones disappeared. So they took some L's financially. Really, if it wasn't for that Mayweather-McGregor fight, that would have been a hellaciously bad financial year. So I understand, Mike, the desperation that calendar year to try to make stars at, at, at last minute, to try to do anything to make Endeavor, WMEIMG, whatever you want to call them, feel like their investment made sense. Since then, though, and especially with signing the ESPN deal, they're peaking upward again. In fact, if you, if you're gonna drink the Kool-Aid, if you're gonna listen to the Dana White, Megan O'Leary sit down and, and drink the full Kool-Aid, you're gonna believe that they're as close as they've ever been, if not already there, to being a big four major sport. Which if you remember in like 2010, right before the launch of the Fox deal was like Dana's big thing. We're gonna pass NASCAR and hockey and we're gonna become a big four major sport. They think they're already there with this. My problem with that is they constantly make Ridiculous decisions. Interim title is just another category. Stripping people of titles for no rhyme or reason. They have absolute power because they're their own league. But the decisions they make now, while financially viable and healthy again, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So my big problem in the Endeavor era is the fact that we are now, how deep into it? Is it two and a half years? Yeah, just about. We're going to be coming up on three years into it. Tell me how many Outside of that UFC 25 documentary, that 15-minute short, which was a sit-down interview with Ari talking about his friendship with Dana and, all, and how, how he bought the company. Outside of that piece of video, which obviously was done in-house, how many interviews has Ari Emanuel or the other white dude Patrick or anyone else from Endeavor done? Not just with MMA media, with any media talking about UFC. Zero. 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 So it's sort of like Al Heyman in boxing, who rules a lot of boxing with an iron fist, with the PBC behind the scenes. Now Heyman's doing a lot of really good things. A couple years ago, there were times where you can't tell what the guy's doing because he can't never talks publicly. You don't know if he's good or bad for the sport. I get that feeling with, with Endeavor right now. Dana's still the front, but I feel like even there's times when Dana is almost carrying out company-issued instructions from behind the scenes, but not properly explaining them, so it makes them look like a clown show. And if they were struggling right now, you would understand. But they are in the damn driver's seat times 1,000. Like, guys, let's be honest about what this new pay-per-view thing means. 
There is no longer financial pressure on them to sell large pay-per-views because ESPN's paying for them no matter what. That's why Rose Namajunas and Andrade can headline UFC 237 in Brazil, and no one really cares if it becomes a Pennington Nunez disaster all over again because they're getting paid. Actually, the pressure's on ESPN to load SportsCenter, load Mike and Mike, get up, all these other shows with as much UFC as possible to make sure the pay-per-views are moving. So when you are in this level of a driver's seat, can you get your ish together? Is that too much to ask? No. I mean, it's it's interesting just because I want to see this succeed. And obviously, we ha- we know they're going to succeed. They're going to make their money no matter what at this point because, like you said, ESPN Plus now, you have to have a subscription to it to get the damn pay-per-views. And they're going to set their prices based on what people's interests are, which I also find interesting. So like 237, if they don't think there's enough interest, they could drop that price to like $40. So wait, hold I, on. I didn't know that. Are you telling me they can change the pay-per-view price depending on how much the card is expected to draw? ESPN is now setting the prices for pay-per-views, not UFC. That's part of that new agreement oh, that they made. Wow. So are you saying this is, so this is another example, guys, of where the sport of MMA is going to dip their toes into the boxing water? You know what boxing does, right? Too many pay-per-views in general, but when it's Maymac or Maypack, hey, guys, going to be $100 for no reason right now. Oh, and Canelo's next fight's going to be 100 for no reason right now. Is that where we're going now? When Connor comes back, it'll be 75, but when it's, uh, when it's Aldo Volkanovsky from a hut in a favela somewhere, then it's going to be like $33. I don't, I, I just, no, no. This solid gold pucker watch. Three people died making this watch, you know what I mean? No. I mean, I don't hate it. I think that works better for everybody because, I mean, the people on those smaller pay-per-views aren't going to make as much money, but they need to be better draws. That's basically what it becomes, right? It helps it grow to the casual fan because now the guy who's not going to spend $65 on the the middle-of-the-road card might be willing to spend $30 on it. Certainly, He might be able to get three friends to spend $10. Yes. Certainly, I like so, – okay, there's good and bad now, obviously. Because certainly it's a development to have a card that's not worth 65 to have it potentially be 30 or 40. I'm with that. I'm just always sort of against the idea – look, Maypack, Maymac were special circumstances. But I'm against the idea of where we are heading in general on boxing, which is promoters going, well, they did pay 75 or 99 that time. I wonder if they'll pay it again. Oh, they will pay it again. They're suckers, all right? They have to see the fight unless they're a little bit younger and they're more technologically inclined and they've already been streaming it. In fact, they're streaming you deciding whether they should be streaming. No, they're, they're streaming They're streaming into your bedroom right now through that little peephole on the top of the camera and your uh, laptop. Yes, they're streaming everything. So uh, where were we on the – oh, the, yeah, it's just – I didn't mean to start off the show with an anti-UFC ramp. That's just where we got there. (laughs) But there's some head-scratching decisions. They're going to get a lot of money moving forward. I want to close on this part, though, guys. The thing I said about ESPN and SportsCenter having much more of a reason to go deep on the sport right now. How much is that going to put pressure on ESPN's journalistic integrity? Uh... I don't think it'll put much. I mean, there's not a ton of journalistic integrity anyway in MMA. Like, we kind of know that already. They, these guys get leaks for in fight information and all that kind of stuff. The only fight, the only integrity left is telling these guys stories, you know? Like, 
because even UFC, like UFC and ESPN do this all the time anyway. A guy might be like one in three in his last four fights, but hey, let's show the highlight of that one win, guys. <laughs> you know, so I mean, there's not a t- to me, it's not going to affect it much. It's going to just be like more of, hey, let's really promote this guy, even though he might not have the greatest record right now. All right, and you're going to see more of these things. Yeah, I my mean, Dana just did some sit down with the SBNW. I saw where they're rehashing the whole uh, the the. Best decision I ever made was to say yes to women's MMA back when I'd been saying no. Like, I get that we're going to get a lot of that. We're going to get a lot of push and promotion. I guess the first sign of a scandal will really show us. Because ESPN's gone down that road with the NFL before. Any any network that has NFL rights is going to go down that road where you got to balance how critical you'll be, how much you're going to let your hot take artists say things. It's just going to be interesting because ESPN is so financially in. On UFC, they are the UFC right now. ESPN is the. It's not like they have part of the of the promotional basket right now, guys. They have every, every show, right? Every, every televised fight except for Dana White series will be on ESPN, or will that too? I don't know about that, but to me, it's like we kind of saw it a couple of weeks ago with the Jorge Masvidal thing. Like they covered that pretty well, I thought. They they gave you the story of what happened and Akimoto talking to to George after the fight, every and everything, like. I didn't think there was anything broken about their integrity there. Well, you could argue though that playing that up is is a good that it promotes fighting and fun highlights. But I guess I'm 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 talking more about some internal, maybe a drug thing, maybe a. I mean, how would sure. the John Jones thing had been handled? Sure, so, I understand that. It'll be interesting. All right, we got to get out of that. We got to roll into what we saw this past weekend, guys. UFC Nashville welterweights at the top. We said coming in what they might bang. They banged. All right? They banged. They banged the drum. It was action. It was fireworks. And it was Stephen Thompson winning every second of the first two rounds until five seconds to go. This guy, Anthony Pettis. Wow. uh, Bounce off the cage Superman punch? Like, are you kidding me? And he knocked him cold. And it wasn't just a straight right Superman punch. There was some nuance. There was a hook to it. It was a planned shot that he thought would be there. At a time when I'm texting you or slacking you, Brandon, going, wow, I guess the weight difference is too big. Look at my man, Wonder Boy. Look at bloody and plaguing his... I mean, this shows you a lot of things in one instant. The the potential heartbreak of the sport. That you're never out of a fight. And that Anthony Pettis may have. May have. Save the what's left of the elite portion of his career at age 32. Yeah, he could have been a modern-day Diego Sanchez for the next four or five years, and we could have said, remember when, and we probably could have seen him win and loss against the Jim Miller types for a while. He just saved his high-end career with that come-from-behind KO, Brandon-wise. True or false? Was that his Darren Elkins moment? What, he got a weird tattoo on his chest and <laughs> grew a mullet out and acted like a weirdo? <laughs> no, I mean, that was Showtime, like... That embodies everything that that dude has been for the last seven or eight years in this sport. Like just how wild and crazy he is with his strikes. And he said after the fight that, by the way, that wasn't planned. He never practiced that in camp. Nothing. Just thought of that on the spot. I didn't hear that quote. Yeah. He threw a Superman hook just outthinking Stephen Thompson, who is one of the greatest thinkers in the sport. When it comes to to space and and speed, like the fact that Stephen Thompson kept that fight at distance all all ten minutes of it, like 
wouldn't allow Anthony to get in there and try and set up a takedown or anything. And then all of a sudden gets him up against the cage, thinks he's got him pinned, goes in with his chin. That was the problem, by the way, Mr. Bisbing. Didn't tuck his chin when he went in on that. It's not open for debate. Uh The chin has to be tucked. And Anthony just outthought him. It was crazy. Like, bounced off the cage, supermanned it into a hook. Just, yeah. To me, the weirdest part was that how the hell did it knock him out cold? Because he hit him on, it seemed like, on the bridge of his nose, which isn't normally a spot where you get knocked cold from. but. That and then the follow-up on the oh, ground. God. I mean, I think he hit him at just the right angle to kind of move the chin as his nose just got pressed into his brainstem. What a vicious shot! What a much-needed shot, as we can say in the in the career of Anthony Pettis, who had alternated wins and losses for what four or five years, had come off the three straight defeats after his title loss, was really becoming more of a Johnny Hendricks, Hen and Barrow than he was anything else for a guy who was on the cover of a damn Wheaties box. And I don't even think, just like Derek Lewis has come from behind win over Volkov, yeah, he got a title shot out of it, but it's not like that changed who we thought who he was as a fighter. It changed who we thought of him for a short season. Anthony Pettis is still quasi-washed at 32. Hate to break it to you, but he's certainly still explosive. Moving up to welterweight for what? I thought it was the first time ever. They're saying the first time since early in his career. And like I mentioned, Against arguably the most difficult opponent in the division, a guy who just controls space with weird angles and won every second of those two rounds. And to knock him cold, very few guys could have been able to do that. A little bit of a heartbreaker for my guy, Wonderboy. One of the best quotes in the game. And when you look back at this run, he's now 1-3-1 and one since the, the, the first Woodley fight. And he's 36 now. When this was about as bad luck of a loss as you can have. I don't think he lost to Darren Till in that, and he pushed Woodley to the damn limit and blanked our guy Jorge Masvidal, and now he's got to take another step back in the title picture, which is now very crowded at the moment and very fun. Uh, But this doesn't mean Anthony Pettis is in the title picture now, right? What do we really do, Brandon, with this Pettis when considering he's willing and wanting to fight in multiple divisions moving forward? I got nothing. I Seriously. I was talking about this with Mikey before the show. I got nothing because he wants to go to 155. He's also now got some interest in 170. Dude, he can fight whoever he wants. To me, he's on that celebrity level where it doesn't matter. I don't need to see him fight for a title again. That it might be good for his bank account and it might be great for him like to feel that, but he's a celebrity at this point in UFC, right? Like, like we talked about before, he was the first one on a damn Wheaties box. Like, he was the crossover, he was one of those first crossover potential stars for UFC. Use him as that. They kind of used you. him like that this week with two set with Steven Thompson. I'm Just glad keep you said using that. him in that way. I'm glad you said that because it's the, it's the Rich Franklin Memorial Award. It's when you get to that point in your career, you're not really a title contender, but we can keep matching you up against wash names and big main event opportunities. And if you stay by your phone long enough, you may F around and back door into a title shot just because you're the most healthy guy at the moment who can sell tickets that's i agree with you that's where he wants and that's kind of what he said afterwards he wants a rematch with rda at welterweight and if he can't get it he wants the winner of justin gaethje edson barbosa who are fighting this saturday in philadelphia in a lightweight bout neither of those two potentials are like two one or two steps away from a title they're kind of in the middle of what we're saying but I agree with you. Use him as a name. In fact, if Jose Aldo, which many people tweeted late Saturday, wants a 
go away fight and wants to do it in Brazil because he's got two left on his deal. Good Lord, Aldo Pettis is the super fight we always wanted back during a time when Dana didn't want to do that kind of stuff. And right now that they're quasi washed and they rely more on banging than hanging. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for that side. Look, can we get in the budget to go to Brazil for that, please? <laughs> I love the idea of him bouncing between lightweight and welterweight to just take these, these fun stylistic matchups and to challenge the up and comers. Like you said, he's in that rich Franklin zone where he's not going to go out there and knock out number one and win the title, but he will put on fun fights. So Connor congratulated him because he was joined Connor as one of the few fighters to win fights in three different weight classes. He's one of three fighters to win one in featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight. Brian, can you name the first one to do it? I did He's see one the Kenny of Florian. our guys. I did see that. My man was on that list. Kenny Florian. Yep. Kenny Florian. Kenny Florian. Woo! Top contender in the lightweight division. Because he finishes fights, no decision. That's my guy right there. Yeah, I saw that. Was the other one BJ? Uh, No, it was Connor. Um, Pettis. Connor Pettis. Add it. Kenny, Ken, but we just we had to shout out our guy here. So, and by the way, I call that the Rich Franklin Memorial uh, uh, place to go in your twilight. Because let's not forget, real quick, after Franklin had lost to Anderson Silva twice, this is who he fought down the stretch. Dan Henderson lost a split decision, beat Vanderlei in a fun fight by decision, got knocked out by Vitor Belfort, knocked out Chuck Liddell with a broken arm, lost the decision to Forrest Griffin, took a decision from Vanderlei Silva, and got knocked out by Kung Lee. All six of those, I think, were main events or, or at least co-main, and all four of them were catchweight bouts, and all six were pretty damn fun. So let's not be against that for Anthony Pettis as we move forward. And you just mentioned the start of what could be a long conversation. Or will it be a short one, Brandon? And the conversation goes like this. Everybody wants him some Connor, bro. Hold on. Can can I pause this for two seconds? Because I have an interesting question for Mikey, who was not here with us last week for our Michael Bisbing discussion. And I was told that we we came off kind of poorly in our discussion that Michael Bisbing deserves a lot more credit than we gave him. So in that vein, is Anthony Pettis a Hall of Famer? In real hall? Okay, we got we to simplify it. In the UFC Hall of Fame or in a real Hall of Fame? UFC Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, dude, again, okay, again, uh, Matt Sarah went 11 and 7 and has one big win on his resume. Yes. So if you've, t- if you've looked at a UFC title, you're probably in the UFC Hall of Fame. The UFC Hall of Fame is basically, are you a company guy? Like, Nailed are it. you a company guy? You're in. Okay. But you think that Michael Bisbing would be a Hall of Famer regardless? I do. I, I mean, he won the Ultimate Fighter 2. He's the first British American champion. And he has, I, what did we come up with? It was the second most UFC fights, I he's believe. Tie, he's or tied for most wins, and he has wins. the most fights total, I think. He got passed out by Cerrone recently, so he's like second in every yeah. category that has to do I, with longevity. Yeah, so to me, winning the Ultimate Fighter 2, being around this long and being relevant, if from from the point where he got into the UFC, he was basically one to two fights away from a title at any point. Now, granted, he didn't win those big fights in the beginning of his career, but he came back around and won it at the end as a massive underdog where he knocked out Rockhold. I think he just – I think he has to be in there for the sport. Okay. Right. The real debate is, is to both of these questions is if we're using the 
the restrictions or rules or whatever of a real Hall of Fame would he get in. And in any form of a USC Hall of Fame, he just gets in because he's a company man and he's funny. But Brandon, go ahead. You were gonna you were gonna counterpoint here. Well, I was just gonna say, so in that vein, would you say that Anthony Pettis falls into that category as like a true Hall of Famer? Because we talked about it here for the last few years. He's been up and down. He we we don't really know where he is, but at the same time he had one of the biggest highlights ever in WEC when he knocks out Benson Henderson to win that belt. Did not knock him be- out. Bite your damn tongue. Did not knock. Five round classic. He then becomes the W, the UFC lightweight champion, only holds the belt for a short amount of time, but his career arc follows to me a similar one to Michael Bisbing, except for the fact that he actually got to the peak in the prime of his career. Yeah, he's he just has some tough losses, like the three stretch the three fight stretch where he lost to Dos Anjos, Alvarez, and Barbosa. Those are three tough losses. They probably all of them could have went, could have been, could have went either way, but they're it's tough. It's it's very tough to say he's on the fringe. I think maybe one more big win or a couple decent wins throughout his career, you can make the case for it. But I don't know. He doesn't get I, uh, in in a real hall. I'll, I'll, I'll answer for you. If this was the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, standards or, or the, even the pro football, he would fall just short. And here's why. One defense of his UFC lightweight title. No defenses of his WEC title. Granted, the WEC folded after he won it. But what I'm saying is it's not like he has one of those things that you can lean on. And even though he had that great stretch after his debut loss in the UFC to Clay Duida, where, where he won five in a row, and the five were some pretty damn good names – Outside of this come from behind win against Thompson, I don't really know what else you're gonna say but the Wheaties box. So I think he's there's a little Don Mangley in him. Somebody like some there's gotta be a line. And I think he's right behind that line where the I think Bisping has a better argument, Brandon. Because really? Bisping has the longevity and he won a championship, I think it gives people like Mikey and and pundits a a sort of uh, something to stand on, certainly. Because he he has the stats. He's in a, he's, he has the compiler of being a, of 3,000 career hits, right? He's got that going for him, and he won an MVP. That's really what the, what his career said. But to you and me, like, I don't think Chipper Jones is a Hall of Famer, and people hate me for that. I'm a Mets fan. How do you – what? I'm just saying he's the Hall of Very Good. He ain't the Hall of Fame. He, okay, we need we need to have a separate talk about this Yeah, later. yeah, we can I, totally have that. If you're – wait, you're some Atlanta Braves home, we can totally go down this road with you. My, bonus baseball He Hall also of cheated fame on podcast. his wife right at the peak of his career too and blew his marriage. But look, my point on this is uh, there's a lot of negatives there against Shipper, but I get it. The, the, but So I think Bisping's one of those guys where if he's your cup of tea, yes. But when you really peel back the skin of that onion, Brandon, like you and I did last week, you might cry a little. You might it's a little smell. It's a little smell in there. When your biggest win is outside of Luke Rockhold is Matt Hamill. You might. You, know, you might have to. You might have to. And I know TRT. Uh, <laughs> I know TRT. Uh, Belfort broke his heart in 2013, like he also did to Rockhold, and probably broke his eyeball on top of that too. But uh, yeah, yeah. All right. That's the scariest human in the world, TRT. Yes. Yes. He should be. There should be a video game where he's the boss at the end of it, right? <laughs> the final fight in UFC four. Yes. Anyway, sorry to get us off track with this. I just thought it's an interesting discussion to think of where Anthony Pettis ends up falling because he's, like we just said, he's going to be in celebrity fight mode now. He's not going to be looking for title fights, I don't think, unless UFC decides to push him that way. But even without another title fight or another title run, I, to me, 
his career is is like you said close if not in like a real hall of fame MMA career. Uh it's yeah, he's on the other side though. He would need a couple more of these legendary names to add on my opinion, but you know what I think he does do? I think this win added with his notable flaws I'm ready to dive right into this Conor McGregor conversation quicker than than you wanted to or that I planned to. But we talked about Cowboy Cerrone being the perfect Conor opponent coming up because there's no get there's no get back fights, get well fights in UFC, but a limited washed veteran who fights one style. Pettis is kind of like a a a upgrade from that. Pettis is like the perfect Donald Cerrone to match against Conor right now. He's the perfect sort of thing. He's a flawed name fighter who could win against Conor 100%, just like Cowboy could, but offers in some ways the perfect style for Conor to sort of line up as a sniper counter shot guy and get a big win at a hot time against a former champion right now. You want a main event of pay-per-view and not need an interim belt, not need anything? God, that's a sexy matchup. I like it a lot. I The thing I don't want to see that is at 170, because I just don't think that's going to look great for either if that gets deep into the fight because they're both going to gas pretty quick. Um, I thought that was part of like what happened on Saturday was Pettis was done. Like he was got He was to me, he seemed gassed. He was getting pushed around the cage. He, he was keeping a really weird pace in it. So he just threw something because he had nothing left. <laughs> and that was like why he was able to knock out Steven Thompson that easily was because he just threw everything he had behind that punch. So, to me, that's a fight at 155 all day, every day. Book it for July right now if we can because, like you said, to me, Pettis is a lot more dangerous than Cowboy at this point. Like, he, he's got more power and he's got more, like, built into him. Like, his wrestling is going to be – could be a problem for Connor if he actually decides to, like, use it this time and he's able to get in into range on him. Connor, on the other hand, can keep that fight on his feet then that becomes a crazy brawl out of nowhere because can you imagine those two getting into the phone booth and just swinging? Like that's the kind of fight I would expect to see when those two, if those two link up at 155. Yeah, it has to be at 155. It would give Connor a little bit more of an advantage, which I think you should do in this spot marketing or booking wise. But I think you're right. And I think the whole fight would be Connor trying to avoid it becoming a full on brawl and trying to stay in counter punching you know, uh, distance mode to try to land the big one and, and, and remind us that he does have fight changing or fight ending power, something he had nothing of against Habib Nurmagomedov or, or Floyd Mayweather. I know different sport, different situation, bigger gloves, but was it confidence issue? Was it stamina issue? Was it Habib just emptied his gas tank issue? You tell me, but Connor was not Connor in that fight against Habib. If Connor can be Connor again, this is a hell of a fight that could go either way, that Connor could and arguably should win, and I think he would be the betting favorite. Even with Pettis coming off of this win, because you saw Pettis pretty much get dominated there. And I think in his other fights, yeah, he pushed Tony to the limit, Tony Ferguson in their fight of the year, uh contender or winner, depending on your choice last year, but he was the guy absorbing the bigger blows. It's perfect. It's perfect right now. You gotta make that. I think it's so perfect. And Brandon, if you don't make that, what do you make? Because you said last week, man, 
I'm sick of every damn show we got to try to throw new names into the pot of who Connor might or should or is going to fight next. And since that episode, two things have happened. One, I think I actually agreed with you. And two, we got more names in the damn pot right now because people are doing backflips in because now Tyron Woodley's tweeting and putting out videos like a madman. Tyron Woodley, he's not going to fight you. The only chance in hell he ever was going to fight you is if he had all the house money and he tried a no-lose, I want to become the first three-division title holder at welterweight. That dream's over. Go back and record Tell Me How My Ass Tastes or whatever your new rap song is. You're never getting Connor ever. So get out of this conversation. I love you, Tyron Woodley. Uh, you know I love your mama because that, that, that's scene they showed with Kamaru and Tyron's mama, I think needs to be replayed more often in this dirtbag face the pain neck tat sport because that was a genuine moment. Outside of that, you ain't getting Connor. This time, Brandon, I'm going to ask you for the last time on this show until they announce it. Who will fight Connor next? I need a Nate drop like right now because Nate just posted something kind of hinting at these kind of things. What? What? Everybody's on steroids. The whole UFC. <laughs> right. That works too. You're on steroids. Oh, no. <laughs> no, you're on steroids. Yeah, Connor McGregor, you're taking everything I work for, motherfucker. I'm gonna fight your You know what's the real fight? What's the real money fight is me, not these clowns that you already punked at the press conference. Don't know what I want to see that. You know you beat them already. That's an easy fight. You want that real right here. Hey, and unfortunately we can't talk like that. Yeah, we can't talk like that in this show either. So we gotta get off of that. Are you saying that next will? Because I think I saw Adiel Helwani kind of, kind of pointing in this direction on Twitter. Are you saying the damn trilogy's next? I'm saying that Nate Diaz just tweeted slash Instagrammed this. Kabibs is how he spelled Kabib's name. Kabibs hiding scared because I slapped the bleep out of him. Connor already got his ass beat twice. Where the bleep you at, Kabib? P.S. Poirier is a bleep. (laughs) (laughs) I love that P.S. That's great. So this happened, right? Because Nate's been talking about this for a while, that at some point on the street, he approached Team Nurmagomedov and slapped Habib. Where I come from, well, you know, people like that get slapped. That was no, Nick, that was way. that was at a a like un, not underground, but like a lower end MMA event where they had teammates fighting on the same card, and Nate tried to approach. That's Habib right. That's and right. Broke out into like a fracas. And Nate's saying, he said, "Sorry, I got confused." He said it on the street after that press conference yeah. that he walked out of that uh, he slapped that that Habib's not about that life that he slapped him and nothing happened. So that. That tweet is hilarious, but are you getting out of that tweet that UFC is calling Nate, and after turning, after they claim he turns down every other fight, that we're getting closer for the trilogy next? Is that what you're, is that what the hell you're saying? Yes, this is, that post is 100% Nate negotiating through social media to say, oh, you guys really want to make this Connor fight now? Oh, my price just went up, guys. I'd rather fight Khabib. I deserve to fight Khabib. Don't talk to me until you make this fight happen or bring that, that four or five million dollar paycheck into my account because that's the only way I'm fighting Connor again. There's no reason to in his mind because like he said, he beat, he beat Nate, he beat Connor twice. I think there's no reason right now to book this trilogy right now because I think the trilogy is a lottery ticket that's sitting out there that you would do in more desperate times. And Brandon, (laughs) what are desperate times when Connor's coming off of two losses, which he could be pretty soon. Honestly, because he's coming back at lightweight, which is an all-killer division, and he 
from what Dana says, wants to get back at Habib and get back in the title picture, isn't looking to become this celebrity Anthony Pettis, Rich Franklin, twilight of my old guy career. So why would you go forward with that now? I got to take that off the table. That's only You're, that's that's a pay per view record shattering one when you when you need it. You don't need that right now. You are spot on, in my opinion. I don't think Connor should fight Nate right now. I need to have them both fight one other person before they come back. So Nate's been gone for so long. I don't want to see a rusty Nate face Connor. Connor, again, it's gone not as long. But still, like, I don't want to see these two guys go in there and be rusty. I want to see them throw down, like, one and two, like, their first two matches. You can't – who knows what Nate has been doing besides trolling Khabib like crazy. Like, who knows what type of training he's doing. I want to see him when he returns. If we are lucky enough to get him returned, I want to see him coming in full strength, full, full gas tank, everything ready to go. Well, who do you want him to face then? You can literally have him fight anyone. You both give both of them a tune-up fight on the same card. Look, it's not well, going to be Cowboy. We've established that, right, Brandon? Doesn't Cowboy just have a fight? Did he just book a fight? We did. Yeah, we were going to talk about that later. Is that how Cowboy's now out of the picture because he's going to face Hal Iaquinta in at UFC Ottawa on May fourth, wow. the same day as Canelo Jacobs. So good luck getting oh, people to look at that. Are you serious? Fight. The same day? That that's Cowboy just being the mercenary who he actually is deep inside. That's just like I want to fight as much as I possibly can before I'm washed. Let me cash all these checks to pay for my booze on the boat. And pretty much. I mean that that's how he lives his life and pay for the camper. Wow. Okay. So he's off the table, and I, I I don't hate that fight. It'll be fun, but it's kind of meaningless in a lot of ways it's because it's because nobody wants to fight Al, understandably, and he's not going to get a title opportunity. So you book that. I think Pettis just became the new cowboy. I don't think there's anybody else unless Tony Ferguson is going to get his life cleaned up, and you're going to do a summer Connor Tony and put a vacant title on the line, and say the winner will will fight Habib, which you can't really do because didn't you just say Max Poirier, the winner, is fighting Habib with an interim title? So I guess you can't do that, Campbell. This is why we can't have nice things in the UFC, Brandon, because I don't, you don't, suddenly don't need to do Max Dustin anymore. Did he say that though? Yeah, Dana said that. He said, he said that the winner of Max Dustin will fight Khabib this fall. Yes, he did. Because I thought the idea was that that we were talking about a few weeks ago was that the winner of that would then fight Connor in our, in theory. And then that's how Connor gets back into the Khabib picture. So that's the way we booked it. But what Dana said in both the Ioli interview and I believe the Olivi interview in response to the idea of there be too many, too many interim titles, he was basically saying, look, the interim title means you're fighting for the title next. The winner of Max Dustin will be fighting for the title next. Except it doesn't. Except it doesn't because this is how <laughs> this is what you can do with absolute power. You can do whatever the hell you want. So that's why we got issues right now. Oh God. So uh in the end, the last thing we had said last week, the as the Connor turns, is that we said Max Dustin winner should fight Connor, international fight week, short turnaround, and then the winner gets Habib. If it can't be Tony, and Tony's got problems right now, let's not fool around with that. I guess that's still the best strategy. You don't need to throw Pettis in there for absolutely no reason. If you're the UFC, you want to maximize what Connor brings to the table right now. And if he really wants to fight for a title again, yes, Max for the interim title, 
if Max beats Dustin or if Dustin wins either or this summer rematch main event international fight week is the best way to book Conor McGregor moving forward. And this will be the last time we have this conversation per Brandon wise until they actually (laughs) announce it. I'm going to put Pettis in my number two slot. Pettis is the second most logical best fight to make for Conor right now. Okay. I just, while we're talking about this and like you said, this will be the last time I bleeping talk about this because I'm so tired of it. And this is the kind of ideas that pop into my head when we keep talking about this. You know who needs a fight right now? BC? This guy? You know, they're, just, they're selling you all wolf tickets, people. That guy? No. The guy who was uh, allegedly an interim champion at welterweight this year, who oh uh, went to God. Vegas what with are you uh, doing? a bullhorn. What, what are you doing right now? <laughs> that would be bad news for Connor. You're telling me that won't sell? With the oh, amount of, well, of anti-energy against Colby Covington, that will all, that entire arena will be cheering for Connor? But it until makes no sense. Connor's not a welterweight contender. Down. Hold on. And what Nothing just, makes sense, BC. I get that. Nothing. But, but and Mikey's right. I think Colby would would uh would lay on him. Lay for, on him. Yeah. yeah. That's a tough fight for him. But what about what about one of the two winners of or what about the winner of this weekend's card? Both of those Connor would make fun fights against. Oh it is. Are, it's a step back. It's a step back. In, like, if you're going to do that, you might as well do Pettis, right? Yeah. It's because that's what name. we talked about before was that if he fights Cowboy, you're getting the kind of, like, flashiness that you get from a Gaethje, except with less CTE. So it's just like, yeah, I'd rather see him fight Pettis than fight either Barbosa or Gaethje because, one, Pettis is not nearly as dangerous as either of those guys right now. So you want to save Connor and make sure that he gets back into another fight where you're going to be able to sell the hell out of it. Connor would never fight Gaethje unless Connor's a hundred percent. If Connor was who Pettis is right now, right, where you're kind of washy, you can fight Gaethje. If Connor was the champion, you can fight Gaethje. Any other sense, you're going to get the guy. You're going to get Connor potentially hurt for no reason. All right, I'm done talking about this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got the Colby idea in my head, and I needed to tell you guys before I forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, and then we sh- sh- uh, dropped a Shiite on it. Yeah, all right. Let's get <laughs> out of there. Let's move forward. Uh, this Anything else we're going to take from this weekend's Nashville car? Steven Thompson takes a step back. We talked about Pettis. Uh, I'm not moved by the heavyweights in this co-main event. Curtis Blades uh, laid on Justin Willis and turned into heavyweight John Fitch. I will not talk about this anymore. Um, That's your boy. Please get me out of that. Uh, we can talk about whatever you want, but I'm going to talk about what I want right now, and that's women's flyweight Macy Barber, the hot prospect who's, what, 22 years old and came in here against J.J. Aldrich, who kind of had become the prospect killer, the the one who could expose you with that s- toughness and that Southpaw style. She had taken a decision from Pollyanna Viana. She had sort of beaten a couple other people. You're we like, could this girl be something? And guys, for one round... I was getting Rousey home flashbacks all over again because Barber, who's got sort of a, a muscular kind of Rousey build to her, was coming in over aggressive and was eating nothing but straight left crosses, Holly Holm style from J.J. Aldrich, and had no form of adjustment. Her nose was getting bloody. Her face was getting puffy. She was coming back with nothing. But give that corner and give Macy Barber credit because when she made that adjustment in round two and the power started connecting, it turned into a vicious ass kicking down the stretch. I think we got to see everything from Macy Barber in this fight. We got to see her holes, but we got to see her repair it in real time pretty quickly. Remind you that the power's there. Remind you that the cocky personality is there at the young age. 
we got a player here. I'm glad that this happened on the screen rather than like in a gym somewhere because I think she grows from this moment way more, way more than had this moment happened, you know, three, four, five years from now. I think seeing a fighter make a real-time adjustment like that is one of the best things that you can see from a young fighter, like uh, with their camp giving her the cues to make these changes, and then she goes out and actually effectively makes them. That shows you that she's very smart mentally, and she's out there thinking her stuff through, and I think that's one of the best things that you could see in young fighters. You see guys like Kamaru in his last fight where – he took that game plan that was working and executed it to a T. Listened to his coaches to what they were saying and came down with a dominant victory. Yeah, that was the thing that, that we were just talking that BC was just talking about is like, she was getting crushed in that first round and to be able to get to your corner, relax again, because you're, you gotta have a feeling at that point like, oh no, I'm getting beat and that's like, not great. I might panic here and just start throwing haymakers. No, to get calmed back down, listen to your coaches and restructure the game plan around to be able to, to get inside. That was just flawless to me. And to at first in that fight, I was getting Bellator vibes because I was like, Oh no, <laughs> please don't be an Aaron Pico right now and get destroyed and, and just fall apart. But no, she, she pulled it around and, and that was awesome to see. I, the thing that was craziest to me, and it wasn't even one of the finishing punches that knocked Aldrich. Well, she didn't get knocked out, but she went out on her shield covering up. She got in on that tie clinch and she threw that elbow like John Jones throws. That was just vicious to me. And if she's able to incorporate that more into her game, I mean, she's going to be a star in this sport and she's going to start injuring people with that. She's powerful. And I was wrong. She's 20, not 22. She's 20. I mean, look at this. Think about the last time we have seen people of her age in such a prominent position, right? Like that's like, it's almost like early Vitor Belfort type stuff to see somebody this young. And I know she only fought JJ Aldrich, not on the title level yet. But, you know, Sage North the cut crumbled, crumbled on the higher stage each time he tried to step up. It's natural. You sort of need this age to sort of take these early L's. You give Max Holloway a lot of credit for what he's done. He kind of took early L's like this on the big stage against guys who became names. Her to adjust in real time, like you said, show the mental toughness. She's going to be really hard to beat. This seems like her division flyweight. I mean, she could have been a terror at strawweight if she could have made if she could have made one fifteen consistently. And she said afterwards that she doesn't think she can make that anymore. But man, this is a division that doesn't have a lot of big names outside of Valentina on top. This could get fun, guys. If she goes on the kind of run where you're like can't hold her back anymore, right? If she's suddenly twenty one and we're going time time for some Shevchenko Macy, let's do this. It could get really fun. I know pump the brakes a little on that BC, but this was the type of win guys that, that I think makes you more of a believer on who she is on the inside because yeah, everybody's going to take those early L's. It happens. Be wise. You do some sparring. I bet you probably took some L's in there, but maybe you lost consciousness. Maybe, you know, somebody tapped you out. I mean, Steve tapped. We know that against Overeem. Did you, are you tapping out? Are you, are you taking a jujitsu right now? What's going on? I have not sparred. I told you this. I haven't sparred and I've only done boxing, not jujitsu. Right. Anyway, I'll the put on the gloves. Is, we'll we'll do an all we'll do an all state of combat please, edition, all right? Please come down here so that we can spar. Please come yes. down here. That's the I heard that's the pre fight to uh the UFC for Lauderdale card. Yes. They'll put an interim in the parking lot. Yeah, in they'll the put an interim lot. on that. Come on. Interim anyway. interim host Brandon Wise. Yes, all right, all right. My point is the problem with what you said though about Macy and, and the title picture is like there is nobody in the flyweight division right now. 
So how many more fights do you give her before you start talking about, hey, we might have to throw her into the deep end against <laughs> Shevchenko? You're right. I mean, you just, if she was at straw weight, let's be honest, guys, that, that's a killer division. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of, you know, names that are becoming washed up where you're like, okay, I'd, I'd see her against that name. I mean, I'm calling up the rankings right now. Who do we actually have at flyweight? I mean, that's why Jessica I, who, by the way, I support Jessica I getting this upcoming title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. It's, it's a decently marketable fight under, I say decent because, you know, Shevchenko is not a big mover, but there's some, there's some, give me some fireworks there. Jessica I can talk. There's nobody else outside of Sarara Eubanks who, I mean, Joanna's moving back down. Who do we got Mikey's here? Mikey's got an idea. Mikey's got an idea. <laughs> oh, my favorite fighter, Paige Van Zandt. Oh, wow. They, they get that girl hurt. You do not want to hurt PV. Yep. Here's the thing. If you're ESPN, you're smart. Paige Van Zandt should fight every three months, and she should never fight a live body. Right? <laughs> no, you're yeah. right. I mean, you want to get her wins. And, I mean, she's coming off a huge victory over Rachel Ostevich where she – Broke her that girl's damn arm, so she should get somebody kind of respectable. You know what? She should get if we're the right kind of fight for Macy Barber. Not yet, but the right kind of fight is a Roxanne Modafari, somebody who you're not going to stop, who's going to be there the whole fight. It's going to be awkward. That's probably a good test of where she really is. I could see a Liz Carmouche type fight down the road. You know, a couple of these blown up uh, strawweights, the Montana De La Rosa fight. Don't do that too soon. Because De La Rosa could, <laughs> that's my girl. She could finish her. I mean, she could tap her. But that, look, Antonina Shevchenko, Valentina's sister, the, she can fight. This is okay. Okay, I'm back in now. I'm back in Ro- now. All right. Rox- Roxy is fighting Shevchenko's sister soon. I don't that's remember true. what card it is, but they're fighting. And I'm not and in on like... the Roxy business anymore, right? I, I, I need less Roxanne in my life. Nice, but nice that... person, happy warrior, but please, let's move on. Uh, what we also saw this weekend, dudes, um, Interesting, uh, all-Brazilian flyweight fight. Juicy Formiga apparently putting himself in contention for some form of a title shot there, whether it be flyweight or bantamweight, nobody really knows. But he gave Davison Figueroa a first defeat. Figueroa had a horrific haircut. Uh, Formiga turned into Brock Lesnar the first two rounds and was just all wrestling ground and pound and then sort of had to kind of backdoor his way to a finish there as Davison woke up. Um, I don't know if I really want to see either of these guys again, but it was it was one of the better fights on this card to watch. Got any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, th- this is just kind of what Juicy is at this point. He's a ground specialist who just destroys you with his wrestling and doesn't give you a chance. Yeah, I mean, yeah. baby John Fitch is not great for business. We have too many John Fitches these days. And we also <laughs> saw your boy Weirdo Bob Ross get a big win, Luis Pena. Um, Did you see him trying to, like, handshake DC after the fight? No. It was so awkward because he, like... I don't remember if he just blew his nose into his hand and then tried to shake DC's hand, but there's like a couple of video clips going around where you could see DC's expression go, ugh, no, I don't want to touch your hand now. That doesn't work for me. I could be fat, I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. My dick works. That does, that does work. Uh, hey, happy 40th birthday to Daniel Cormier, who will apparently not retire. Because Dana said he's going to fight three times this year. I'm like, Dana, it's March already, all right? The guy just, the guy's turned, he's like, no, no, he'll fight three times this year. Now, Dana did tell Ioli that he, that he sees, uh, DC fighting Lesnar, Stipe, and Jones on the way out. Probably a best case scenario, brothers. We'll see what happens. Is it? Is it? For the combination of marketing, giving DC the potential to make money and extend the legacy of his career, give Stipe another chance, deserving after the run he had been on, and give us Jones DC three on the way out. Yeah, that's a perfect ending to DC's career. Okay. And for everyone involved. 
whatever you say. Wow. Wow, this this guy, this hater, Brandon Wise, right here. Wow, wow. All right, bros. Uh, what else we got in the news cycle here before we preview this weekend's uh, fisticuffs in Philly? Um, the only thing we haven't talked about yet was that Jose Jose Aldo almost did not make this UFC 237 card because he got hospitalized with a bacterial infection over the last week. Did they call the fight? There was rumors that it might be, but now he's been released and the fight will still be on. It was just like a really weird situation that Combate reported about. Hey, Jose, here's a piece of advice. Call in sick, bro. You can't gain anything from this Alexander Volkanovsky fight but a, but a concussion, okay? I'm not saying you're going to lose. What I'm saying is you're going to walk through heck for what reason? To, to, to please the Brazilian fans that you're a co-main event for? To, uh, look, if this is a, not an interim title fight and this is not your retirement fight, which is not because he has two fights left on his deal and then apparently he's going to become a pro boxer. Is that the last thing he said? I think he, that where we're going with this. Regardless, why are you fighting Volkanovsky? This just shows you that all those like, I cannot wait to get out of this contract. Can you be a little more creative UFC and actually like either, either set him up on a path to a title or exactly what we're talking about, Pettis? Give me fun fights on the way out against other legends. Yeah, I mean, this Volkanovski fight does not make any sense for Jose Aldo. It makes sense for Volkanovski because if he wins, then you can clearly say, hey, he deserves a shot at the, the, the featherweight title. But Jose, like we talked about a few weeks ago, even if he wins this fight, they're not going to put him in a title fight and then let him retire if he wins the title. Like, it makes no sense. Dana has always said that he doesn't want to have a vacated title because of exactly what happened with GSP. So it's like, what are we getting accomplished here? Especially with Volkanovski going to Brazil to fight Jose in his backyard. Like, to me, this feels like I'm going out with one last shot. And if this actually is his last fight, I don't understand it. Well, because they're not going to, are they going to take him back to Brazil in like November or October? It, it appears that's the way. And it's obviously, it's really, I don't know. I want to say it's UFC not showing a ton of respect for his brand name and what he brings. But I guess in some ways they're giving Volkanovski the chance at the rub of beating a Jose Aldo, which would fast track him into the title picture. But again, I just think there's smarter ways to use legends names on the way out. Like giving GSP a chance to fight Habib makes too much sense. But you're either a company man or you are not. We've seen it a million times. Hey, also in the news, guys, Holly Holm at 37. Signs a six-fight deal with the UFC. Uh, Mikey, will she get to all six fights? I feel like that's all. Uh, I don't know. Because she hasn't fought much as of late. It was one or two fights last year, I believe. It was the Betch Correa fight, I think, was her last one, no? Yeah. Um, I feel like she ass. hasn't been fighting as much lately. And the fights are kind of drying up for her, seeing as she's beaten a lot of people in those divisions. Well, the Let's not underestimate her name value. And I'm going to say this. Let's not underestimate. She still kind of got it. She's still who she was at the beginning. Like, she was never as good as she was against Ronda because that was a perfect storm, perfect style matchup, and she fought the perfect fight, right? So she was never that. Like, I remember at that moment, we're like, she's the greatest athlete in female combat sports history. No, she's really not, okay? Had a great decorated boxing career during a time where people cared about women's boxing even less than they do now. Great win over Rousey. But it's, she's not really fallen off or taken too much of a – she's sort of – to me, she's still as dangerous as she was in the beginning, which means at any point she can win another title. 
I don't think she slowed down with age. The fight to make still is Amanda Nunez. That's the last name Nunez needs on her record. But I feel like Holm may end up outlasting Nunez. And I'm going to say a weird kind of prediction here. Holm's going to win another championship in the UFC before she retires. There's no depth at featherweight. What would stop her outside of Amanda Nunez? What would stop her? Cyborg. She's two and four in the last three years. I just, I'm feeling it, man. She doesn't lose bad. Those are, those are some tough, they're, they're tough losses that she took. Shevchenko. Shevchenko uh, outthought her and, and landed really clean counter shots and was really smart, but. The cyborg fight was tough and the Durandamine fight was close. That was a so. weird fight. Really, really Holly should have won that. Looking back, I want, I'd like to know what really happened and that was just a weird style matchup. Was Holly not at her best? She should have beat Jermaine right there. She's coming off a win against Megan Anderson at 225 last June. I can't believe you think that she's going to win a title. I think but she can, because I... what if Nunez leaves? I think Holm could be the – I mean, it's not like Bantamweight's a hot division. We know Featherweight's dead. I guess. I just don't see it, man. I. She might still have it, but she's also, what, 36 now? Seven. 37. 37. But I mean... she's just went through a divorce, and you guys know people do the best work of their career. Like if you're a rock star or something coming off of a divorce, you're inspired. Sure. Have you seen her on Instagram at all? But then why did they get rid of the Aspen Lad fight? Oh, because they're getting ready to fight Nunez. Because that was a bad idea. You you give Aspen Lad an unnecessary loss, or you give Holm a loss before you can use her in a title fight. It's not good matchmaking. They still haven't booked Aspen Lad another fight yet, by the way. Yeah, they don't care. They, they they certainly don't care. Hey, uh, my guy Luke Wait, Rockhold. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. They booked uh, Aspen Lad's going to fight Soraya Eubanks at on May 18th. Ooh, apparently, I like that one a lot. That's they, the uh, Kevin Lee Rafael dos Anjos card, and I also like that fight too. Kevin Lee RDA welterweight. Kevin Lee moving up in May. Yeah, buddy, sign me up. All right, so Luke Rockhold is is officially moving up to 205. It's actually going to happen, and he's going to fight sort of division gatekeeper guy Jan Blockowitz. Um, all right. I fear for Luke's chin at 205, man. I really do. He's the ultimate what if for me, dude. He's the ultimate guy who has everything, but he's missing something. He's missing a key intangible. I don't think it's focus. I don't think it's necessarily chin, although it certainly was against like Romero just, just, just ended him. But there's something he's missing. Like there's a, there's a computer chip in the back of his skull that's not there that's presenting him from being all he can be. This guy should be a pound for pound ranked guy for a decade. I mean, it was TRT Belfort that took it away from him. It was, over, you know, underestimating Rockhole, I'm mean, Bisping in the rematch, but man. You guys, I just, you're not drinking from the same cup I am? No, I've, we've had this argument for the last two years. No, I don't think Lou Rockhold is as good as you ever thought he was. Mikey. I'm going to play, play middleman here. I would like to see how this next fight plays out. He's big. Like he's a, he, I remember he has a big frame. I would like to see how he fills out with that extra 20 pounds on him. See what that does to his power. See how it, how it affects his cardio. I think this next fight is what you go off of because if he goes out there and he looks great and he puts on the 20 pounds that he can add and maybe his chin's a little bit better than we've seen in these last three fights where Bisbin caught him and Romero caught him. Maybe the extra weight gives him that Pettis energy where he has a little extra energy in the tank. I'm with yeah, him. I'm, I'm with I, him. I mean, 
my thing is you're not going to see much from this fight, I don't think, because to me, John Blachowicz is the, like, the running equivalent of a dead, of a warm body at 205, like, <laughs> because he's supposed, he was supposed to be the gatekeeper for who Santos last fight. I mean, Rocco better beat the brakes off of this dude if he's what you think he is, BC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, the damage actually isn't that bad when you look back from since, I mean, he's only fought like twice since the Bisping fight. So the damage isn't that bad. Handled Branch, but then just got highlight reel finished by Romero. And guys, that's what happens. I don't think it was necessarily a chin breakdown. I still think it was just a stupid loss against Bisping because he had dominated him so much in the first fight. And the second fight was a last minute change. I think he got rattled a bit by the trash talk. And then he just, he just gave up the fort, fort right there. But uh there's still time. Brandon, uh, look. The, the Baron era is not over. All right. Henan Barrow, I still believe. Luke Rockhold. What? Okay. Luke Rockhold. All right. The Henan Barrow thing's a joke. Rockhold. I don't know. I don't think he can beat a Gustafson. I don't think he can beat any of those clowns like you, like, like Johnny Walker Blue, but he's an interesting out. If he, if he proves, like Mikey says, that there's more gas tank, that the power's real, that kickboxing game's not going to slow down at 205. He's got the body for it. Okay, I didn't hear a word you said after you just told me the Baron era is still alive when Baron has lost, like, what, 17 straight fights I, I now? I did back it up with a joke there, though, but come on. <laughs> First of all, we needed to, we were seconds away from a t-shirt bet on sun, on Saturday night because I was, like, pretty in on Anthony Pettis winning just because I didn't want to see Steven Thompson win. And if I could have convinced you to actually agree to take that bet, oh, I would have been so happy because I would have got a new shirt. I would have got that, uh, that Jorge Masvidal shirt, the three-piece and a soda. I'm going to get that shirt from you. Don't worry. I almost signed on the dotted line. I almost got myself a home, sweet home shirt. You would have lost. <laughs> what I'm saying. What's with the Stephen Thompson hate between you and our, our colleague Jack Crosby? I mean, how could you hate Stephen Thompson? It's not that I hate him. I just think he's boring and he's just a nerd. Like, he's just another guy. Like, he's fun, but... I, like I said, he hasn't finished anybody in a long time. How dare you. All right, let's get into this weekend. Let's send him home strong here. Philadelphia UFC fight night on regular ESPN, guys. Not the deuce, not the plus, not the ocho. We're getting the big times, and we have a violent main event coming our way. Lightweight. The king of all that is violent, Justin Gaethje, although I think he lost that lineal crown to Eddie Alvarez, you know, in their, in their holy hell war. But he's going to fight... Edson Barbosa and Edson Barbosa brings the highlight real violence. Gage G brings sort of the soul crushing CTE violence. This is going to be violent guys. High theater. Who wins this? Because I'm not sure Justin Gage G is back just because he caught uh, James Vick. I'm not sure he's necessarily anything but what we think he is. He's just a mauling SOB who will break your backbone if you don't kill him. By the way, Eddie Alvarez also fights this weekend for one championship in uh, Tokyo. What's the viewing options on that? And what what time uh, of day? A Russian illegal stream, I believe. Is it? There's no like Bleacher Report stream live or anything like that. No, didn't you? Weren't you the one who told me that you can only? It's all tape delayed. The, I thought the turn the TNT monthly one hour shows are tape delayed, but I didn't know oh. about any. Maybe live. maybe it is. I I don't know. But anyway, I kind of agree with you on that. But this is. Can I just say that since they started the new ESPN deal, the main events that we've gotten have been all fire. Like, they've all lived up to those expectations and billing. And if this, there's like a 0%, 0.1% chance that this one doesn't just because these two guys are just so damn good. 
and they're such killers. Like, my thought is that Barbosa is going to want to keep this at distance so that he can use those crazy leg kicks that he throws. But Gaichki is best when he's in close and can just maul you, and then all of a sudden, rolling thunder shows up with his foot behind your head. You know? <laughs> like, I have no idea how this is going to play out. My pick is trying to just be conservative and take Edson Barbosa, but I could easily see Justin Gaethje knocking Edson Barbosa out cold. Like, I, I have no idea how this one plays out, but I just want to see it. Look, I thought Gaethje responded well with, in some ways, his career on the line against James Vick, right? Like, if we're being honest, like, could he would have devolved quickly into sort of just a, a, uh, I mean, really a, a, a Diego Sanchez level guy. I don't necessarily know though what he can fix because he kind of was this guy in World Series of Fighting too. Doesn't wrestle enough, relies on his chin and just turns it into a caveman war. Barbosa's the kind that can light that up. Guys, I'm looking at Bar- Barbosa's recent run. Like, yeah, if you look, let's look at his last nine fights. He's five and four. But tell me who's fought a better nine consecutive fighters than this. You ready? Michael Johnson, Paul Felder, Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, Benul Dariush, Habib, Kevin Lee, and Dan Hooker. And he's coming off a very impressive win against Dan Hooker in December. This guy only fights the best. He's resurrected himself specifically coming off of the, the two losses to Kevin Lee and Habib, where we started to think, you know, is it piling up? Is it too much now? Well, no, he almost finished Kevin Lee if you, if you don't forget. I think he's in a sneaky spot where he could go on a run here. We're like, he's starting to become sort of a guy where we're like, okay, he's been around a while now in the division. He's fought everybody. Probably not going to get any better or worse than he is now for a couple more years. I think he's, he's kind of peaking right now. I think there's a wrong time for Gage to walk in there because I think Bros is figuring things out now. And I think Gage yes, will be up in his grill, but you can light Gage G up and Barbosa has finish you type strikes in that arsenal. You think he can go on a run here? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, yes, like you said, he's only fighting the elites, but he's losing to the elites. Like, he's losing to Kevin Lee. He's losing to Khabib. He's losing to Tony Ferguson. He lost to Michael Johnson. Like, uh, I don't know. The Khabib think... was the low point, dude. He got absolutely dominated in that fight, and he showed a ton of chin to hang around. That's the low point. I think he's bounced back fairly well from that, though. I mean, he... Almost knocked out Kevin Lee. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. That was one of the greatest highlights I've ever seen when Kevin Lee started doing the running man while he was knocked out cold standing up. Um, yeah, I, I, it just depends on matchmaking with him, man. Like, that's the thing. This kind of matchmaking benefits him. But if they start putting him in there with wrestlers again, then he's going to get dominated because he clearly has shown he has no idea what to do once he gets down to the ground. So I know we're not if he's to going talk- to go on a run like that, he's going to have to do it against stand-up strikers. I know we're not allowed to talk about Connor anymore on the show, but damn, Connor and Barbosa would be the ultimate hot, hot sex fire, right? I mean, don't you think Barbosa would light him up? Uh, there'd be a good chance for that, but let's not forget. It, Connor's got to come back and prove again that he can be 2016 Connor. Connor's still in the Mayweather fight, as far as I'm concerned, right? Because he didn't show anything against Habib, right? If Con, but but if Connor can prove again that he's you know 85 percent of the guy he used to be, he's still the perfect counter striker for a guy like Barbosa, who's probably going to come in too flashy and can be laid out with one perfect shot. Let's not forget what Connor's power does. It even at 55, he will lay you out with the perfect shot, Brandon, and end the fight. 
if he's still that guy. And that's why we all want to find out. Let's stop talking about it and let's see it. What's stopping Connor from fighting five times by the end of 2020? What's stopping that? Politics and money. <laughs> the Irish mob. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really it. Like that, my, we talked about it last week, but my football coach in high school used to say, don't talk about it, be about it. Like, be about these fight game, Connor, if you really want to keep doing this. Like, stop teasing everybody and do it. All right. All right. Keith Byers. Can we put that, can we frame that? Can we, or can we carve it into stone next to Tebow's speech, please? Yeah. In Gainesville, too. Only in Gainesville. Amazing. Amazing. Um, all right. So, look, it's going to be violent. It's going to be fun. I think Barbosa stops him late. Because there's something about the heart that Barbosa showed against Habib in taking that beating really unnecessarily. Let's remember, we're like, why is this fight still going on? Why does Barbosa keep walking into a beating right now? I think he showed you something in there that he can go to that extra side room in hell that Gaethje takes every opponent. Look, if you're going to sign up to fight Justin Gaethje, even if you're going to finish him, you're going to go to that dark room at the end of the hall down deep in hell. I think Barbosa comes out of that as the last man standing. Because Gaethje's only going to get worse from here, guys, right? It's only going to get harder for him to pull those type of Michael Johnson comeback fights. And I know Michael Johnson beat Barbosa, but Michael Johnson ain't Barbosa right now. Barbosa's going to knock him out in the third round. Ooh, third round. If this fight gets to a third round, I will be shocked. That's more of my take. It's like, I think this is just going to be a firefight from the get-go. Hopefully Barbosa keeps his pace and he just picks away from the outside with his huge leg kicks and tries to throw one of those spinning hook kicks and knocks out Gaethje. But I just don't know, man. Like maybe Gaethje just comes out guns blazing. I'm going out on my shield kind of way, you know, and just throw something crazy that we haven't seen before and knocks out Barbosa. I, my pick with my heart wants Gaethje to win this fight just because I think he's more interesting, but Barbosa does. I think Barbosa finishes this off in the second round. All right, all right. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Barbosa also. What's the line on this one? I will get that right now. But uh, yeah, something just came up. BC uh, Henry Cejudo's on Ariel's show. He said that the plan right now is for him to fight Marlon Marais for the bantamweight title as the main event at 2:38 in Chicago on June 8th. Wow. That's interesting. Instead I will of, have I will have respect for the UFC if they make a decision on flyweight before that and don't wait to see what happens, which of course they are going to do. Yeah. All right. Edson Barboza is the favorite ranging anywhere from minus one forty to minus one seventy on the books. That's about right. Yeah, and Gaethje's a small underdog though. This yeah, is... plus one plus one twenty five to around plus one forty, I'm saying. All right, let's run through what else we got here. Co-main event, middleweight bout, David Branch versus Jack Hermanson. Uh, it's not moving me on the surface. Anything deep inside that I should care about? I mean, Hermanson's somebody that they, they want to make a little bit more of a star out of, but I don't think this is the opponent to do it. David Branch is still a good fighter. He's still a tough out, but he's never he, – he's proven he can't get over that hill, though. Yeah. All right, we got Josh Emmett, who Brandon apparently hates, uh, this featherweight against Michael Johnson. Look, this is a, a pretty even fight, uh, betting odds-wise, and I think in the cage. Look, John, Michael Johnson's always going to be a tough out. There's no question about it. Emmett, of course, coming off of that disastrous knockout loss to Jeremy Stevens at a time where he was really starting to look like maybe we needed to take more notice, more care of him. 
but he's back at featherweight. This could be fun. This could be wild, but Josh Emmett has to win this fight. He does. I mean, as he even said in the build-up to that Jeremy Stevens fight, he was the training partner for all those guys at Team Alpha Male. Like he was the guy who would go in there and and simulate who they were fighting in their in their upcoming bout. So if Emmett is going to be a thing, he needs to get a win over Michael Johnson because Michael Johnson's not gatekeeper, but he's just like another run of the mill featherweight at this point. He has right? the worst recent record for a guy with that much skill. It's really amazing how how many losses there are in the last five years for a guy. I mean, yeah, he's coming off two wins, but I mean, split decision with Touchy Feely. Uh, uh, Beat Artem? No, 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 no. But uh it, it's going to be a good fight to test. Look, Emmett's got to come back, man. That was a tough knockout loss. You were trying to get me in on the Emmett train before that. I remember. Yeah, and then he disappointed me. All right, here's the fight. And I, I was and I was cage side for that one. Here's the fight I care about arguably the most. Look, guys, one fifteen women, women's straw weight. It always bangs. It's amazing. It's such a deep, amazing weight class. It started with that. Season of tough in late 2014 that they used. And you go back and look at who was on that show. It really is all killer, no filler. And the division, really, none of these girls have been, have entered the wash zone. Like, like, look, let's be honest. The Ronda era at Bantamweight has aged really bad. A couple of those girls that Ronda beat are still lingering. No one's ever really ever done anything outside of lose one-sided to Ronda. Strawweight, these girls keep coming back. There's, this is, there's no easy fights here. We're getting Carolina Kovalkiewicz against Michelle Watterson, 115. A lot of, in a lot of ways, guys, you know, you win, you're not so far out from a title opportunity. You lose, you're really getting pushed back there. And for Kovalkiewicz, I mean, she's coming off arguably the most brutal knockout loss in women's UFC history. I mean, that's about as ridiculously powerful as it gets. Lights turned off by Jessica Andrade last September. She's back. She's two and three in her last five, including that title loss to Ioana. But she's still got the goods. I still think she's title contender material. And I've never really been all that high on Waterson during this run. How do you guys see this one playing out? Yeah, I mean... Carol, Carolina's loss was just so bad. Like, I don't think I've ever seen somebody at that weight class lose that way. But on the, on, in the same light, Watterson's kind of a blown up straw weight, which is even kind of weird to say just because she was an atom weight champion before she joined UFC with at 105, which is just unreal. But she's had a tough go with the, the different skill levels at UFC at, at 115 and, yeah, I'm a little worried about her in this fight. They did the nice ESPN feature on her and how being a mother in fighting is kind of it's it's got a stigma almost because they think that women care more about their family than their fight future and it's just not true. So I I mean there's a lot of interesting storylines from that in this where they're trying to make her more of a star on ESPN, but at the same time I think Carolina should finish her in this fight if they're able to keep it standing. Michelle's chances to win here is by taking this to the ground and out grappling Carolina, which is going to be tough for her. But I think Carolina will be able to stay away from the ground game and keep this at distance and win a nice yeah, decision. Carolina is really good at, at controlling distance with hard strikes and really giving you pause on coming forward. I mean, let's not forget what she did against Joanna late in that fight. It was Joanna who got sent to the hospital after that tough five-round loss in New York. But why this is such great matchmaking is because, like we established, Carolina coming off as disastrous a knockout loss as you could have 
And then Watterson, who's been up and down since making her UFC debut in 2015, coming off a really good unanimous decision win over Felice Herrig at 229, in which that fight went back and forth, and she really outworked her down the stretch. This is the big opportunity for Watterson. It would be three in a row, and this would be the biggest name victory. I mean, it should be PVZ, of course, but in terms of an actual critically tough name and the same thing, like I mentioned to Carolina, you get this win, you're right back where you need to be. I think if she can control it from distance, exactly like you laid it out, this is a fight Carolina should win. But Mikey, you got to prove that you can come back. Have you seen a worse knockout in a women's fight than that? It's brutal. That was, the knockout was brutal. But I love Kovalkiewicz, and I really hope that she comes out here like she did in those Joanna fights. And she stays at distance exactly like you guys said and kind of tries to pick her apart. Cause I agree with you, Brian. I don't believe my hype for the karate hottie isn't there. I, I think she's a little too small and I just don't see her beating the top people in the division. I would love to see Carolina get a win. Maybe face someone at the top. And then maybe even get that title title shot because she beat Rose, but that's a while down the road. So I think Carolina wins, uh, grinds out a decision. I would probably say. Brandon, true or false? You've seen the um, Michelle Waterson Holly Holm level up video. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll Got leave some that homework there. for tonight. Um. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, only the lonely. Hey, uh, what else we got on this card? Anything else? Brandon, you look so mad. What's going on? What did the Connor talk just, just ruined your day? I, I've never seen someone so asleep at the mic. You all right over there? I'm doing great. I'm just ready to talk about Sodiq Youssef because he is the damn truth and you are going to be woke to him after this weekend. Yeah, what else should I care about on this card? Tell me, tell me. Well, you got that kid and then you've also got your boy Ross Pearson fighting again this weekend. Well, someone's going to end up with a knockout loss. I mean, Desmond Green, this is not a bad matchup. Is uh, Mark De La Rosa Montana De La Rosa's brother? Could be husband. She's married Maybe to a fighter. Husband. You got Ray Borg on the card at the bottom. Versus uh, Kyler Phillips. I mean, I'm interested in anything Ray Borg after everything that he's been through the last few months and years. So I'm really rooting for him to get a win because I'm sure he needs that money to help with his uh, his kid. No doubt about it. That's an interesting story there. I'm really pulling for him on that regard. Hey, by the way, Pearson coming off uh, five defeats in six fights. Yeesh. That's your boy, baby. Yeesh. He does bring the pain, man. I mean, I thought he was going to beat Will Brooks in that uh, UFC debut. You remember that back in the day, Vegas? Yeah, God. Yes, I do remember that. All right, uh, guys, that'll wrap it up. UFC Philly this weekend on ESPN. We'll be interested to see out of that who calls out Conor McGregor and what lies Dana White tells. Now, we'll see where they go. We know the future of the Bantamweight division. We don't know flyweight. We barely know heavyweight. Who knows that lightweight, guys? It's all up to in the moment, the decisions they make. But you know you're going to get that performance-enhancing audio when you dial into this show. Thank you for joining us another week. Hey, follow my friends on social media at BrandonY65, right, on Twitter, at what, Mikey, again? MJMCBSI. I may I may write that down one time. All right, follow <laughs> us, the show, at State of Combat there. Check out our other fine SOC offerings this week. A lot of wrestling coming on the timeline the next two weeks, guys. If you subscribe to this show, it's WrestleMania season. A lot of big-time guests coming. Wise, not moved by that. Not moved by that. Wise, you're an MMA guy. You're going to watch WrestleMania 35? Check out what's going on with Lesnar, Lashley, Rousey. 
that's the only thing we forgot to mention this week was that DC said he might have to go to WrestleMania to uh, challenge Brock Lesnar uh, to get his fight. Uh, I, have a, I have a quick question for uh, some WWE fans. Yeah, what do you got? Is Gronk coming? You guys got Gronk coming over to the WWE? Gronk retires from the Patriots. On on Bet DSI, he is minus one sixty five to be at Monday Night Raw tonight. <laughs> no, that would be wild. It's kind of crazy. I wonder if they have him. So Gronk had a WrestleMania moment two years ago. A lot of people remember in or is in Orlando, correct? Yeah, he was a battle royal. He jumped in to help his buddy Mojo Rawley against Jinder Mahal. They paid it off at another Monday Night Raw where Gronk came in the ring. Imagine if he comes back at this mania and has wins the damn. Uh, Wins the damn battle royal there, the Andre the Giant trophy. Uh, it's, uh, look, they've been talking about it for years. I've interviewed MoJ Raleigh a million times. We always ask him about it. He says, look, when Robbie G's ready, you guys are going to see. I wonder if he's ready. Brandon, would that get you back in a little? Just a little? Ro- Robbie G. Yeah. Lord. Uh, no. What no. if, alright, alright. What do you think it looks like when, when MoJo Raleigh and Robbie G go out and hit the, uh, hit the clubs? <laughs> Pray for everyone in the surrounding area. Yeah. <laughs> Could we see a day where Daniel Cormier wrestles Rob Gankowski in UFC, in a WWE? Oh god, that's brilliant crossover stuff right there. That is pretty damn brilliant. I could get into that. I could get, I could get it. Look, here's the thing. I can get into celebrity. It's always been that way. Like when Lawrence Taylor fought Bam Bam Bigelow at WrestleMania 11, <laughs> like it's a train wreck, but you want to see like it's different when somebody like Rousey's going full time. That's another conversation because you're you're now comparing her against other full timers and saying, you know, is she as good? Is she a phenom? Is she this? I kind of like the one off celebrity run in for a match, and it's it's fun. Mayweather Big Show. What'd you say? Mayweather Big Show. Dude, go back and watch that Mayweather Big Show eleven years later. That's some good ass business inside the ring. The story they told, the action. Mayweather took a couple bumps. You're not into that, Brandon. I mean, the dude is seven feet tall, 450 pounds, wrestling a five foot eight, 147 pound guy. Come on. Only one of those guys left the ring with a bloody nose that night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was in the lead up. But yeah, that sold the damn fight. And uh, Mayweather, you know, unbeaten in boxing, unbeaten in uh, pro wrestling, too. You got to give him. You got to give him that. All right. Took a few L's in the public eyes with the law, but that's another story altogether. All right, we're out of the show. That's it. Face the pain. It's over. Thank you for listening this week. Uh, Brandon, any, any other message for people? We out.